Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Doing well this morning? All right. We, I'm doing well, too. was able to go this weekend on a men's retreat with uh, 50 men here from Grace. Uh, we went to Western Maryland, and we had Lord moved in our hearts in a powerful way. Get back last evening. Uh, it was just a, a life-changing kind of weekend for us, and we're, I was glad to be part of that and to be with our men. Today, we wrap up uh, the service or this series of messages, Doing Hard Things, with a message I believe will be potentially the one that we need the most because it, it impacts us personally in order for us to do hard things. And the truth is that we need to get back up and we need to realize that God loves us and finds us as he finds us. I was at a, a, a pastor's gathering at the lodge down in Syracuse uh, early in the week. There were 60 pastors across the Midwest that came uh, to the lodge for a, a, a focus retreat on uh, with pastors, and I was part of that. And the last session that I was in, uh, one of my favorite men, pastors uh, in the fellowship of churches that I get to be part of, um, was sharing. And so I made certain to be part of that, wanted to hear what he had to say. He's 80 years old, and the Lord has used him in, in powerful ways. And so he told this story that is so good, that, and it, it, it actually is so good for today's message. He talked about the time when he was 15 to 16 years old as a teenager um, in his house, and finally he got to 16, 17, and the family, he lived on a farm, and his family had a truck that his dad let him drive. And so he would drive this truck, and if you remember trucks like this, he said when you would turn the steering wheel, you had to turn this far before it turned to the right, and then you had to turn it this far before it turned to the left. There was a lot of play in the steering wheel. So he said you would often drive like this. He said he had one of his friends one of the evening, and there was a, some country roads nearby his house that they used to drive on and try to get all four wheels off the ground. Some of you remember doing that. Guilty. I did that um, many times. And so he was driving this truck, and he was with his friend, his teenage friend, and, and they were by themselves, and dad trusted him with the truck. And, and so they came to this one hill. As they would get to this one hill, they knew if they go 40 mile an hour, they could hit the hill at the perfect time. And when they hit it at the perfect time, all four wheels would come off the ground and they would high five each other as they were airborne there. He says that as they were driving in about 40 mile an hour and they hit this hill, 40 perfect, he said they went airborne. And he said when the truck hit the ground, it was appointed a little bit to, to, to the right. He says so he tried to correct. And when he turned left, he didn't turn left enough because there was so much play. And finally he turned, it swerved it to the left. And he said he tried to correct it and turn it back spun it to the right, and before he knew it, he had plowed through a fence, was sitting in the middle of a cow pasture in mud. He had crashed through the fence, and the truck was crashed in the front. Tires blown, two tires blown on it, and he realized he had made a, a decision that wasn't a good decision. And so he realized at that moment that he needed to get his truck out of the mud that it was stuck in. Put it in gear and couldn't get it out. The tires were flat. So he said he jacked it up. Those old bumper jacks. You remember the slot in the bumper and you crank it up. And he got both tires off and he took, walked them to the nearby gas station and pumped up the tires and brought them back, hoping that he could get the tires back on in time to back it out. Put the tires back on and it was stuck. It wouldn't spin. He knew that he was in trouble. And so he thought, I need to let the farmer know 
that this truck of mine is sitting in his pasture and I crashed through the fence. So he said he walked to the farmhouse and he said he was afraid what the farmer might say. And as he walked to the farmhouse, he knocked on the door and told the farmer what had happened. He says, my truck's in your yard. I crashed through your fence. I did damage in your field. And he said, um, can you help me out? And the farmer said, hop on the tractor. See, so I got on the back of this tractor and the whole way to the crash scene, he said, this farmer kept telling me how horrible I was and how, how, how much of a fool I was. And that he said that I was an idiot for trying that. And he kept berating me and telling me how horrible I was. And he said, we finally got to the crash scene and realized he couldn't pull it out with the tractor. He said, so he told me he would take me home. He said, so I rode the whole way home on the back of this tractor. And this man kept telling me how horrible I was. That boys your age would never do that. Responsible boys, young men would never do that. And this is the damage that you've done. And he said, I felt like a total failure by the time I got home. He said, I knew my dad wasn't home because my dad worked second shift. And I realized I needed to let my father know that I had crashed his truck. And it was stuck in the field. He said, my dad worked second shift. And he said, my dad always came home at the same time every morning. He would come home at 1 a.m. in the morning. He said, I wanted to be responsible for the crash in my life. And said, so I walked down the road, and I took a chain with me. He said, I stood at the side of the road waiting for my dad to drive down the road to face the music and to take responsibility, knowing that my dad would see the crash in the field, and I had to answer to my father. He said, a lot of things ran through my head. He said, but I was willing to face whatever dad had to give to me because he said, I was reminded of what I was. I was a miserable failure. I, young boys shouldn't do things like that. You wrecked your life and you damaged the field and you're an idiot for doing such a thing. He says, I stood by the side of the road at 1 a.m. holding the chain with hopes that dad would pull me out. He said, I saw these lights coming down the road and I recognized it was my father. He said, my dad pulled over. He looked at the truck in the middle of the field. He saw me standing there with the chain. And he said these two things that I'll never forget. First, he said, well, let's get her out of there. And he said, then he said this, I love you. He said, my dad walked over. He hooked up the chain. He hooked it up to his truck. And he pulled me out. And he never brought that occurrence and that wreck up again the rest of my life. He said... He showed me what real love was. He said, all the while, there was this other man in my life that told me I was a miserable failure, that, that I was a train wreck and a truck wreck, and I was a loser. And he said, I wasn't sure what I would get from my dad. He said, but my dad told me, let's get that out of there. And I love you. We have a God that looks at the truck wrecks of our lives and he sees us standing by the road wondering because we probably beat ourselves up. And there's probably many of you that you have been so hard on yourself. And some of you haven't even forgiven yourselves for the choices you made. And when our God, the Father God, meets us at the truck crashes of our lives, you know what he says? Let's get you out of there. I love you. You see, that's the Father God that loves us. That's the God that sent his son Jesus to the cross for us. There is a beautiful picture in scripture 
that characterizes this love in the same way. And here's my hope today. My hope today is this, that we will see ourselves the way God sees us. And you know what he says? Get back up. I love you just as you are. Let's get you out of there. Grab your Bibles and turn to this amazing story in John chapter 21. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But as you're turning to John chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 1 to 6. There's a man by the name of Peter that some of you are familiar with and maybe you're not familiar with. Maybe you're new to the Christian faith. But he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and he walked with Jesus for three years. And so he had seen Jesus up close and he had served him. And, and he was one, part of Jesus' inner circle. And Jesus is getting near to the point where he's about to die on the cross. And so Jesus is meeting with his disciples. And short and sweet is this. He tells them that one of you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And so Peter is amongst this group, and Peter basically said, Lord, I, 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 that'll never be me, God. That, 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 Jesus, that'll never be me. I would never deny you, ever. I would never do this. In fact, he basically says, I'm the one that will stand for you. And the truth is this, that he does miserably fail Jesus. In fact, The text says in Matthew chapter 26 that he denies Jesus three times. In fact, one of the conversations which I find very intriguing, the reason they knew he was with Jesus, one of the the people said, you have an accent like he has. I found it interesting. You know what happens when we begin to spend time with people? Have Have you ever noticed that when you begin to text someone that you're very familiar with, all of a sudden you start saying the phrases that they say back to them, and they start saying the phrases back to you, And all of a sudden, the things that that they're saying, you begin to say. It's interesting what happens if you get families together and you start talking the same. And one of these people said, do do you know Jesus? Oh, no, no. And they say, wait, wait a minute. You have an accent like he has. And I believe that's the lingua, the language. Like he, He spoke like Jesus spoke. He must have said something that Jesus said. And the way he said it was because he had spent time with it. He said, oh, no, no. And then it says, the, the rooster crowed three times. And Peter knew that even though he said he wouldn't deny Christ, he did it three times. Fast forward. Jesus dies on the cross. Death, burial, and resurrection. And there comes this encounter where Peter is going to meet Jesus at the truck wreck of his life, standing along the side of the road with his chain, willing to face the music and wondering how Jesus will respond to him. And this is the response. Would you stand and read this with me in John chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. John 21 and verses 1 to 6 says this. Afterward, read with me. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. You may have a seat. 
pictures this, that Jesus is post-resurrection. He's about to meet them. They had failed him miserably. In fact, if you go to the cross scene, Peter was nowhere to be found. In fact, the, those that, that were with him were no longer with him. And so they had had truck wreck after truck wreck when it came for them to stand and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so at this moment in time, not one, as we understand, were there at, at the cross other than John, but there, Peter was gone. He had denied Christ. And so fast forward, he's about to see Jesus for the first time. I'm also reminded of this in, in, in Proverbs chapter 24 when it comes to us as human beings. In Proverbs 24 and verse 16, Solomon says, but the righteous man falls down seven times but gets back up. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. It's not whether or not we will have a truck wreck. It's not whether or not we'll stand by the road with hopes that somehow God will forgive us. And it, it's not that we won't have moments in our life where we have a difficult time even getting over our own failures. We will fall, but the righteous man falls seven times, Scripture says, and he arises, he gets back up. The Bible shows us men and women who are faithful one day and fickle the next. We see strong followers falling quickly and doing some pretty stupid things on the side of heaven. We see saints act like sinners. Think about it. Just, just run through the Bible. Just, just a couple. David. You saw him. He was faithful to God. God, I'll serve you. God, I love you. Oh, God, I, I will do anything for God. I, I'll even kill giants. And then we see him becoming faithful to fickle, committing adultery with Bathsheba. We see Noah. I mean, we know the story of Noah. The earth had a, had a flood, and there was this faithful man for 100 years, built a boat when it had it rain. He, he, he was bankrupt. He bankrupted his 401. He bankrupted his savings account. Everyone thought he was crazy. They knew him by name at Menards because they said, here he comes again. He's buying more wood for the boat. They'll keep us in business, but that guy is crazy. And day after day after day, he built this boat, and there wasn't any water that would ever float in. He was faithful and he kept saying, repent, repent, God's, God's coming. But he continued to remain faithful. And then the picture is, the flood comes and what happens? He, his family is saved and he is saved. And then there's this picture of Noah, post-flood, drunk as a skunk, drinking, appearing naked before his sons, faithful, fallen. And then there's Abraham, Abraham, who from him would come many nations, as numerous as the stars. God said, I'll bless you and your descendants. They will fill the earth, faithful followers of God, all over the earth in your name. And so he leaves the earth of Chaldees, and he goes out, and, and he follows God, and he takes these steps of faith. And there's these pictures, this faithful giant. When asked, is that, your, is that your wife that's with you when he stands before the authorities? No, no, she's my sister. So that he could find a place to rest and be received. And sister, that's your wife. Lie. And even see, he does it twice. Abraham, faithful, fickle, fallen. But the righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up. You see, very godly people can make some very wrong, sinful choices and suffer greatly because of it. I think it's good the Bible shows us that because we would be tempted to deny this reality and think we are beyond that temptation. 
we're about to see, find Peter. Post-resurrection, Jesus is about to go to heaven, but he's saying his last goodbyes. Now, just pop, think about this for a second. You know that your time is coming to an end. Who would you want to say goodbye to? Would you want to say the goodbye to the people who had failed you miserably? Like, he's going through his list. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk to the two guys on the way to Emmaus. I'm going to meet with this, these thousand people and these 5,000. And, and you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to meet with Peter. He's the one that denied me three times and wasn't at the cross. Like, yeah, I want, to, I want to just have a good time with him. Jesus wanted to meet him at the truck wreck of his life, holding the chain on the side of the road. Why? Because he loved them. So as he looks at his last minute of conversations, he's running through his list. I talked to him. I talked to him. Where's Pete? I need to talk to Pete. But why Peter? Why would he visit someone who let him down and denied his friendship with him? And look at verse 1 again. It says this. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples, and it goes through the list. And then it says in verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told him. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. One of the things I appreciate about Peter is that he didn't crawl into a hole. You know what he did? He went back to doing what he knew he could do, which was fishing. But at this point in time, he hadn't caught a fish. You see, he didn't let the demons of failure in the past destroy how God could use him in the future. He moved on. In fact, the text shows us his leadership ability. He's got six guys with him. Somehow, he convinced them to gather and to continue to follow him even even after he had miserably failed Jesus. This was a defining time for the disciples, by the way. They were confused. They were uncertain. And they were not sure of their future. They had just seen Jesus' death, and they knew that they were the pillars of the future of the way. So would the authorities hunt them down too? You see, it's in these kind of times that Satan wants you and I to give up. I wonder how many of us are right there right now. But I've done this, and I can't forgive myself. I can't believe I am the culprit, and the reason I'm in this mess is because I chose to go 40 mile an hour, and I chose to go against what my father said I shouldn't do, and I ended up in the mud in the field, out in a wreck, and I have flat tires, and now I'm standing along the side of the road because of my own fault. And many of us can't forgive ourselves. I wonder in this room of this size and those watching by live stream and and, and those of you in the South, I wonder how many of you are letting the baggage and the truck wrecks of your past keep you there instead of moving on and know that we have a God of grace that's not only forgiven you, he's chosen not to remember it anymore. See, here's what happens. We must remember this when it comes to our journeys. Success or failure is not permanent, either one. I want you to think on that for a second. You see, sometimes think, well, I'm successful. Listen, it's not permanent. You could fall tomorrow. And failure isn't permanent either because you can get back up. Both require a choice. And so Peter has a choice to make. 
And look what happens. He's standing out there fishing, and verse 4, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. I think the reason they failed to recognize Jesus, the majority of them, was because they were preoccupied with failure. They placed themselves back in a position to be used again, but at the same time, there was a part of them that just couldn't see clearly because they remembered because it was just a few days earlier that they denied and weren't with Christ at the cross. So they're standing early in the morning on the shore of Jesus, and it says this in verse 5. Jesus called out to them. And what was his first word? How did he respond to him? What's, what's it say? Friends, haven't you... Any fish? Think about that for a second. He didn't look out. He knew who they were, and he knew he needed to check off his list. Who do I need to talk to? I need to talk. I'm going to talk to Peter because he failed me three times. And he looked out across there, and he could tell it was the disciples, but they didn't know that it was him. He could have said, hey, idiots. Hey, losers. Hey, 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 truck wreck disciples. No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He said, Friends, my closest inner circle, let me get you out of there. Here, let me hook up the chain and pull you out. Hey, I still love you. He wasn't the farmer on the tractor the whole way home saying, you did that? Wait till your dad gets home. That's stupid. You wrecked my fence. You will pay for this. He didn't speak or berate or knock them down. He said, hey, let me get you out of there. Friends, I love you. You see, Jesus understands the big picture. And so they're, they're out there, and look what it says in verse, read on with me. It says, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Not only did he call them friends, he wants to help them. And they answered, no. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And you will find some. And the text says this. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So here you have Peter with a boatload of fish looking like a winner again. And all the while, the very person he failed, the very God he failed, is standing on the shorelines giving him advice so that what? So that he can win. I've often said this, and I believe this with all my heart, that when it comes to men, men need wins in their lives. Because we're so hard on ourselves, and we have a tendency to remember what we've done wrong. And the truth is, the enemy wants to take us back. And so I'm constantly thinking, how can I help this man find a win? And Jesus is saying, friends, cast your net over there. And you know why? Because he wanted them to win. He wanted to remind them to move on and don't look back. So here you have Peter. He denied Christ three times, three strikes. He's out with a boatload of fish looking like a winner. And all the while, the very person he failed offered existence so that he could come out on top. And Peter is being pulled out of his shame with the chain of love out of the pasture with the flat tires and being loved by a father says, let's get you out of there. Why? Because Jesus loves him and he loves you too. 
just as much as he loves Peter. Sometimes we just need to own up to our mistakes, don't we? Sometimes we just say, like Bob said, as I stood along the side of the road, he said, I was willing to face the music because I knew I screwed up, and whatever came my way, I was willing to receive it. He said, but be honest with him. Through tears, he told his story. I never expected to hear that from my dad. Hey, let's get you out of there. And he said, my dad has never brought that failure up again. I believe omitting mistakes is far better than faking perfection. <laughs> and so many of us, were trying to cover up and trying to look perfect. And it takes so hard, to, so much energy to try to stay on top and make it look like we have perfect families and perfect, perfect homes and, and perfect workplaces and perfect lives. And it takes so much to cover that all the while we know that only by God's grace can we do any good. And there are areas in our lives that if the, if the, if the, the video of our past was played, we would be shocked that people found that out. Listen, a righteous man falls down seven times. He doesn't stay down. He gets back up in the power and authority of Jesus. And he marches on. The next step here is crucial for Peter. Jesus allows him to catch fish. And now what will we do? What will we do? And it says this. Look at verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. I always love this when I read this because John wrote this. And he's like, yeah, Jesus loved me the most. He says, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. What did he do? It says, he wrapped his outer garment around him. For he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. And it says the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore. And it says about a hundred yards. Then they landed. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, a burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And then it says that Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat. He's soaking wet because he swam and ran to the shoreline and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. I love that they took time to count the fish. Numbers are important to God, by the way. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, come and have breakfast and None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and it says, and gave it to them, and, they, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared. And it says, look here, that, that, that he, he met them at the moment. And, 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 and this is a critical step. Peter had a choice to make. Would he let the skeleton of his past, would he let the, the truck wreck of his past keep him from backing to Jesus? No, it says he jumped out of the boat and he swam to Jesus. He was willing to meet him and face whatever Jesus had for him. You see, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. There is none. And Peter knew this. I also know this, that the past has no power over the present moment in your life. <laughs> Paul would later say this in regards to, 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 to looking forward. And just hold your finger here and look at Philippians chapter 3, which really applies to this story here today. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Paul is trying to 
get us to look forward. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 13 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. But one thing I do, he says. But one thing I do and we should do. Forgetting what is what? What's the word? Behind. Forgetting the truck wrecks behind. Forgetting that we're sitting in the middle of a, of a corn or of a cow pasture with flat tires, but straining forward to what is ahead. And then he says this, I press on towards the goal to what the prize? What's it say? Win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is reminding us and Jesus is showing us, hey, you don't need to keep going back there. Hey, I've forgiven you. Hey, hey, move on. That's what the cross did. I canceled the code of sin. I disarmed the enemy. Hey, I've chosen not to remember that sin as far as the east is from the west. And listen, move on because I've already pulled you out of that train wreck and that truck wreck, and I want you to know that I love you. Don't we need some banquets from the graves of our failures (laughs) Like so often we want to go back there and we want to stay in the ashes and we want to, we want to turn them up and we want to get dusty and we want to tell the story. And it's like, yeah, I, I miserably failed. And we, we want to go back and let that farmer take us on the ride on the tractor. And the, and the, the farmer is the Satan. And he want, we want to let Satan take us for a ride and remind you, you're a loser. Like you're an idiot. Why'd you do something so stupid? You wrecked your life. You wrecked your marriage. You wrecked your workplace. You wrecked your finances. You wrecked all the relationships. Why would you even get back up? Why would you even go home to your dad your dad will never love you and we need to say oh yes he will and he proved it at the cross and you know what my father does and my father says he says hey let me get you out of there and i love you we don't have a god that keeps taking us back to the truck wrecks of her past. He's looking forward and he's saying, hey, cast that net out there. Catch some fish. Hey, come sit on the shoreline with me. Hey, let's eat some broiled fish. Forget what is behind. Strain to what's forward. Run for the goal that I've set out for you. That's the God I serve. I don't know about you, but that's the one I serve. See, only two things remain in the past if you really... Think about it. Great accomplishments that either make us proud by reliving them or stationary by resting on them, and failures, defeats, and sin that cannot help but arouse the feelings of guilt and shame. Like, who wants to go back to that cesspool? We don't need to call Miller's sewer and drain for that. It's clean, baby. Move on. See, when the Bible says there's no longer any condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, listen to me. That's truth. (laughs) You see, returning to the truck wrecks and recalling those horrific events zap us of a life that's led by the Spirit and effectiveness today. It derails us. It demoralizes who God is and God's grace on the cross. Christians need a good dose of holy amnesia when it comes to our failures. I was thinking this week, like, what would it be like just one day? Like, just one day 
if you and I just chose, like, just, 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 let's not set a goal for the whole year. Let's not set a goal for a month or a week. Let's just say one day at a time, Lord, I will not tell my son and remind him of how he failed me. I will not remind my wife or my husband of what they did five years ago and this week. I'm moving on. I will not remind my brother, my sister, my coworker. I will not. I refuse to look back. I'm going to see others as you see me, and I'm going to move forward, and I'm going to strain towards the goal. I'm going to leave that cesspool behind me. Man, what would happen to our world? Well, news wouldn't be 24 hours. It'd be like 30 minutes. This was crunch time for Peter. And it could be crunch time for you too in your life. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. I can forgive what what someone has done to me, but I can't forgive what I've done to someone else. You see, the same grace that was extended to you is the same God that wants to stand and reach down to you and say, hey, let me get you out of there. I love you. God responds the same to us. Charles Spurgeon said this many years ago, and I love this quote. He said, no saint shall fall finally. Sorrow may bring us to earth, and death may bring us to the grave, but lower we cannot sink, and out of the lowest of all, we shall arise to the highest of all. Listen, our future is bright. We have eternal relationship with Jesus. The very person we have failed enters the room. There he is. So Peter, there he is, Jesus. The very person he failed, there he is. He's on the shoreline, and what's he called? He says, friend, come eat with me. The person that maybe for you, you're thinking, there's the truck wreck, there's the person I let down, there's the son I let down, there's the daughter, there's the ex, there's, there's the past. The person you, you saw, at, saw you at their worst, they now stand in your mind, in the last memory you have, what is that memory and what will you give to that person? I, I was thinking about Bob when he was telling that story. The only thing that, that dad knew in that moment is that he wrecked his truck. He screwed up badly, and the first thing out of his mouth was, let's get you out of there, and I love you. What would happen if we responded that way? Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. You see, forgiveness is a choice, and it's not an option. You can choose shame or guilt, or you can choose forgiveness. So how would Peter respond? He faces his fears and refuses to hide. It says he dives into the water. It's another critical step for him. He was willing to get over his past, over his fear and shame of screwing up. And the truth is this. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And Peter knew he had it in Christ. The way that Jesus responded to him. We must remember some truths when it comes to situations where we screw up. 
The first one is your struggles are necessary, so fight on. You see, our struggles remind us that we can't do it alone. Your father has not forgotten you, so hang on. He can pull you out of every ditch you'll ever find yourself in. And thirdly, your future is assured, so walk on. You've been forgiven. Press towards the goal. Peter could have stayed in the boat. He could have remained in his shame and his misery and his failure and think he could never be used by God again. He could have forfeited all his talents and abilities and missed out on a great blessing and adventure from God, all because of a moment in his life when he was really human. Listen, we can go from faithful to fickle, but God will never let go of us. I wonder how many of us are sitting on the sidelines believing the lies of Satan that tell us that we are washed up and we are failures. You see, I'm fully aware of my past and so are you. But when I look back, I want to look back at the cross, not the truck wreck. So what happens, look, read on, look what, look, 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 look what happens. It says in verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, and it says, drag, drag the fish, and there were 153. And, and then as you move in verse 13 again, it says, Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared and then it says in 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Strike one, canceled. And Jesus said again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Strike two, take care of my sheep, canceled. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, but Jesus was looking forward. He says, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very true that I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went out where you wanted. And he says, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. You know what he's referring to? Death on the cross. He's looking at Peter and saying, listen, that truck wreck in your past, forget about that. There's going to come a day that someone will lead you to your death and you will stretch out your hands and you know what you're going to do for me? You're going to die for me. I want you to know that you have what it takes. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that there's a bright future for you. I want you to know, quit looking back there at your failures. I want you to know that you are a valuable commodity to this world and we will be together for the rest of our lives so get up and let the world know that I love you and I love you just like you are that's the picture so Peter gets his chance to redeem himself let me ask you a question do you give your whomever it is your husband your wife your, your children your boss your, your 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 son your daughter do you give them a chance to redeem themselves when you meet them at the truck wreck of their lives do you say hey Hook up the chain. Let me get you out of here. I love you. Press on. Press on. Press on. Peter got his chance to be redeemed. And 
What I know from this account and what I know from my own personal life is this. God will never allow anything to permanently destroy our relationship with him. You see, here's what we begin to think. How can I be so fickle? Like, I can't believe I just did that. Yes, you address it. Yes, you repent of your sin. But listen, don't stay there. God loves you. And God is willing to pull you out and put you back on your feet. Press on. So Peter's responses to the Lord were emphatic yeses. He didn't let his past finish him. He didn't waffle and whine and whimper. He didn't say, I don't know, or I hope so, or let me think about it. He jumped at the opportunity to to receive God's grace, and he got to a point in his life where he was willing to die for Jesus. And even though he failed in his past, the best days were ahead of him. See, something happens when you know what you've been saved from and saved to. (laughs) And when you know you have a God of grace, there's this unusual love that you feel in that moment because you've never experienced anything like it. Like, why would God take the chain and pull us out of all of our sins and all our failures? Why would God be willing to do that when you recognize how much you're loved? You live differently. History tells us that Peter was faithful to the end. And he followed God, and there's no records that we have in history that Peter ever turned his back on Jesus. And when Jesus asked him to follow me, it was a statement of grace. Because why? Because our God is a God of second chances. Our God says a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. The truth is this, God does not treat us like our sins deserve. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that I have a God that meets me on the side of the road when I'm holding my chain, just hoping beyond hope that he'll forgive me, that meets me in the truck wrecks of my life and says, Jim, let me get you out of there. I love you. Oh, Lord, help us today. I pray, God, please, give us a picture of who you are. And God, when the the farmer on the tractor wants to come and berate us and tell us how horrible we are and remind us of our failures and and tell us that, that, that mature young men or women would never do that and that Christ followers would never do such a thing and, and that they would never end up in a truck wreck like that, remind us, God, please remind us again and again and again and again and again and again and again that you love us. Oh, Lord, you're such a good God. I pray that we would stop berating and beating ourselves up. And I pray that we would just hold our hands out and say, God, we receive your grace. And may we know that you love us just as we are. In Jesus' name, amen.